Have you ever met one of those people who just can't be stopped? It's like they're unstoppable. Yeah, I have. Me too. What's their mystique? Nothing stops these people. Welcome to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. You're about to meet some of the most amazing people. They've accomplished their goals despite insurmountable odds. They beat adversity, physical hardship, and traumatic events, and emerged triumphantly. They're people just like you and me, and they're winners. Are you unstoppable? Here's Frankie to show you how. Well, hello there, and welcome again to Mission Unstoppable Radio. I am your host, Frankie Picasso, and today we have a new guide. She's a woman who, if she could, I believe, would stand on the shoulder of the highway of life. She would hold up a big sign that reads, Road to Happiness, Exit Here. Oh, wait. She already does. Maura Sweeney is an international speaker on influence, leadership, and emotional intelligence. She's a syndicated podcaster, Huffington Post contributor, and the creator of the Foundations of Happiness self-study course. She was also named the Ambassador of Happiness by UNESCO, and her goal today is for each of us to be living happy inside out. So please welcome Maura Sweeney. Welcome, Maura. Hi, Frankie. I loved your intro. I feel like people should be clapping. It sounds really good. I could see this woman standing on top of a car with a big uh, sign on I-95 saying, you too can be happy. Here's the way. Here's the way. Follow me. Follow me, everybody. (laughs) Hey, thank you so much for having me on. I was thrilled to be able to connect with you and, and share with you today. And you know what? We are thrilled that you're here. And I know everybody who's going to be listening is going to leave here a happier person. That I can almost guarantee them. You know, when I was thinking about you, Maura, uh, these lyrics came to me. Just listen for a second. So bows and flows of angel hair and ice cream castles in the air and feather canyons everywhere. I've looked at clouds that way. And I think these lyrics probably resonate with you. You're a cloud watcher. I'm old enough to remember the song, too. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about when you were a child and and that cloud watcher and what you dreamed of doing and being when you became an adult. I really was a cloud watcher. I would classify myself as um, a young child who was a dreamer, who had an imagination. And I sometimes attribute this to being left-handed because left-handed people always see things differently or think Mm -hmm. differently. But I grew up right outside of New York City on the Jersey side, close to Newark Airport. Maybe it was 15 uh, miles away from our home. And as a preschooler, I could remember hearing airplanes coming on their way and back then some of them were probably the old propellers and they were landing or going off from Newark and I would immediately drop down to the ground we had you know little patch of grass in front of our house stare up at those airplanes going inside and out of the clouds and my thoughts were thinking number one can I get up there and lie in the clouds like angels do and secondly Mm -hmm. who are who what people are in those planes where are they going where on earth are they going and where are they from and back then you know it's not like today where we have access to so much but somehow in my mind as a little girl I imagined the entire world and I imagined people from every race culture, language, um, 
people that looked different, spoke different, dressed different. And I wanted to get in those airplanes and visit every single one of them. And, um, and the other piece of it, which worth worth mentioning, is I could remember going in our backyard with my brother, again, probably preschool age, and I convinced him to help me dig a hole down to China because back then we thought <laughs> yes. if you dig a hole deep enough, you end up in China. That's and right. I actually planned on digging deep enough to meet the Chinese on the other side. <laughs> But to me, they were all my friends. Even if I never met them, these were like unmet relatives. And I don't think I've ever changed that that thing that was in my heart, even as a little girl. So did you make up language? Did you, did you know different languages or did you pretend to speak different languages with your brother? No, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. But I just, in my mind, I think I imagined life as one big party with everyone present, different ages, different giftings, different abilities, some rich, some poor, didn't matter to me, but that every single person at the party was valued and welcomed, and they all had something to contribute so that each member actually helped make the party into something better. These were some of the thoughts I had as a little girl. <laughs> yeah, and those, those are really beautiful, and, and they're kind of in contradiction to your family life. I would say so. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm going to say that, you know, you describe yourself described as a former law school escapee. I think that yes. says a lot. But let's go back. Young, young Maura, the girl who dreamed of, you know, being the party didn't start until everybody's there. Let's talk about, you know, what went on inside your home. Oh, you know, I, I have several memories, but I'll give you all right, I'll give you one. Um, it was a, a very good memory in that I remember watching early episodes or repeat episodes of the original Mickey Mouse Club, which I believe went off air at 6.30 p.m. So after they started singing M-I-C-K-E-Y-C real soon, I knew it was time for the piano to start. My mother used to play it. January, February, March, March. My brother and I would have to march into bed, and I would be crying. But prior to that, I, especially in the summertime, I, we lived on a cul-de-sac, and we were smack in the middle of the cul-de-sac, which was where all the kids in the neighborhood played, all my friends. And at 4 or 4.30 in the afternoons during the summertime, especially when the days were very long, I can remember standing at the front door on the inside in my little baby doll pajamas crying because I wanted to go out and play tag or jump rope or whatever else with my friends. And my mother already had me in pajamas. So these, think about that. There's this I know. sense of, I want to get out. I need to get out. I want to play. I want to be a part of the party. Yeah. And there I was, even in bed, I could remember, again, summertime, my room was across from uh, the bathroom front window, which went out onto the cul-de-sac. And I could remember hearing the voices of all the kids playing. And there I am in bed when it was sunny out. So there were some of the, dis the, the disconnects, let's say, between what I imagined myself doing and the life that I was experiencing. What, what were you wearing at those parties? What did you imagine? Uh I could tell you, I'm dating myself, of course, but there was an era when girls would wear dresses and they would usually have waistlines to it. Mm -hmm. And if you spun around... You mm -hmm. make your way, you could turn your the bottom of your dress into what looked like an umbrella that opened. To me, yeah. that was like it. And yet, at the same time, I could remember, 
I can remember waking up one morning and uh, my mother was in the bedroom and she must have gone into my closet very quietly and she was quietly removing the last of my dresses that had a waist. And I don't know whether I said, why are you doing that? I don't know what happened, but that was the last of my wasted dresses and the rest of them were A-line, turtleneck, three colors. And I was very much groomed to be smart, to be academically inclined. Not, by the way, I have to say this, um, Jackie, because sometimes you get Frankie. Okay. Everybody calls me Jackie. It's okay. Oh, you know, Jackie Picasso also works instead of Frankie. But just for the <laughs> anyway, I can tell you how many people call me Jackie. Okay. It must fit. That's your other name. Yeah. But anyway, um, there were many things that I was brought up to be that were in many ways they probably looked good and I've used them all to my advantage. But I'll just tell you, they weren't necessarily contributing to my state of happiness. But had I not had them, I might not have worked so hard to actually find my sense of self and really step out in those things that felt authentic for me to make me happy from the inside out. So imagine you have a childhood challenges like we all do mm-hmm. and you use them instead of a reason to say, oh, poor me. I see them all as benefits because they all help bring me to where I am today. They do. They do. And it, but it takes an enlightened person to figure that out. You know, there, there's there's that growing up with that, uh, you know, always on on. You know, it's funny because, like, you say you want to live inside out, but you were living on the inside watching the outside happen. You know, good point. But there was also something else. Again, I'm going to tell you, this goes all the way back to preschool. And I wonder if other people have had this experience. There, When I was very young, I was a good observer, let's say, of what was going on around me. And I remember thinking to myself, why is it that all of these big people – are so concerned with what everybody else thinks about them, what everybody else is saying, and they're all doing these things maybe to satisfy the world, quote-unquote, out there, let's say the social world. And at the time in my life, I remember having this awareness of the self. Now, you might want to call it the soul. And I remember thinking as a little girl, like, well, how come they don't ever say what's going on on the inside? Why don't they think like what do I really want to do on the inside and what's going on with my inside person? So even when I was very young, I was aware of the, the, the difference between knowing oneself from the inside and then trying, on the other hand, to be this socially acceptable person in your looks, your appearance, your friendships. Um, let's even say in terms of your possessions and mm-hmm. how others thought of you. And I I must have always had that and maybe never quite lost it. Maybe I never really lost that little thread that I had as a child. Well, you know, we're all socialized. We're socialized from the time we're born into, you know, you're being a good girl or a good boy and you go to school and you're taught how to act and what you're supposed to do in society. I went to private school and you're taught to stand up when people come in a room and to ask me, I please clear a table and, you know, all the niceties that you're socialized into. And at some point in your life, you know, you say to yourself, who am I? Who am I? And who do I want to be? And and the more that that little girl, you know, there was a lot about you that you liked, but there was, you know, the part, there was the, the one who kind of hid away and was quiet and, and the observer. You were the yes. observer. You didn't want to be observed yourself. 
You know, I think somebody told me, and this is, I was in my 40s, uh, they told me that I was very private. I never knew that I was. I really was the observer of life. Even though I was going through the motions, I did a lot. But I think I was the one sitting on the sidelines rather than the one who was out there dancing at the party, saying, come on, I'm starting the party. I would have facilitated things for other people. I would have worked as a supporter of others and their initiatives. But I tried very hard to maintain a low profile. Even when I was, you know, I had 10, I think it was 10 years in corporate um, positions of leadership. And I ran everything like I was running the um, a TV show. I'd be the one saying, we have a really great show today. Let's get this next expert up here. Yeah. <laughs> so I love promoting other people, but tended to feel far more comfortable wearing black, stepping aside and really deflecting attention away from myself and toward others. Well, we're going to go to a commercial break and in just a few seconds. And when we come back, we're going to learn more about Maura Sweeney. We're going to learn about when she stepped out into the spotlight, let's say, and, and decided that, that she was going to not be an observer any longer, but a participant in life. You're listening to Mission Unstoppable Radio. I am your host, Frankie Picasso. Our guest today is Maura Sweeney, the ambassador of happiness. Don't go anywhere because we're going to come right back in just a moment. Don't stop. That's right. Don't stop listening. Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso will continue right after these messages. Stop. It's Marching Day We have a book titled The Art of Doing Nothing by Veronica Vien in our guest room by the bed. I'm telling you, this book is an impossible challenge. In the state of Maine, it's said that someone who bottoms chairs for a living is lazy, presumably because one's bottom is perpetually in the chair. To sozzle means to laze around or perform a task in a sloppy way. The word is mainly found in New England. A quote from 1848 describes the term as used by housekeepers in certain parts of Connecticut to refer to a lazy person. Other words for lazy people are abbey lubbers, scabberlatchers, and slaughter pooches. To me, the ultimate loblolly is someone who is too lazy to even think like they're working. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's marching Is there a particular food item that you absolutely crave to the point of madness? Then you're an opsomaniac like me. I love avocados, for instance, probably because avocados have more protein, fat, and calories than any other fruit. Some folks are afraid of the avocado, nicknaming it the alligator pear for slippery and yucky. What's a word for the fear of food? Sitiophobia. Talk about yummy snacks, let's not forget potato chips. A pound of potato chips costs 200 times more than a pound of potatoes, or tater tatties as Aussies call them. The slang word spud derives from the spade-like tool used to dig them out. What's another word for mashed potatoes? Pachi pachi. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. And we're back. And our guest today is still Maura Sweeney. She didn't go anywhere, thank goodness. She's still with us, and we are going to be speaking more with her and, you know, living life 
inside out, I guess, uh, because that's really where, where the real us lives. We don't live on the outside. We live on the inside. Uh, more, <laughs> we're not done with your childhood yet. I wanted to, you know, something about wearing turtlenecks and wearing, you know, beige and black and colors that didn't attract attention to you. It reminded me of, of the movie The Banger Sisters. Do you remember that movie with Goldie Hawn and Susan Sarandon? I don't and think wore, I ever saw it. I've heard of it. Go well, ahead. Susan Sarandon was, you know, they were both best friends. And, and they used to, like, hang out with bands and be, you know, roadie chicks. But but um, Susan Sarandon wore beige. Everything was beige, beige, beige. Whatever she put on, she had a beige suit, beige pantsuit, beige everything. And and Goldie hadn't seen her for a lot of years. She met her again. She goes, my God, look at your wardrobe. You're all beige. Like You have to put some color in your wardrobe. Because And, and she, as, she, as she reflected on her life and she recognized how this came to be, you know, how she became this beige woman, let's say. And, and you know, I read that you lived very conservatively in that way, in the way that you continue to dress um, pre, you know, and post, I guess, your mother taking away some of your your favorite clothes. But I think that, don't you think that that part of the socialization contributed to um, a little unhappiness in your life? Yes. You know, I can remember going out school shopping, and I remember my mother saying, I'm looking for anything in winter white, cranberry, or navy blue. Um, <laughs> and I wasn't paying. I wasn't paying for the dresses. And so those were the colors. So I was very much in that mold. And now here's something that might uh, that anybody could probably relate to. We can be socialized or uh, patterned one way when we're in an environment and then not realizing it just later on assume that that's who we are when mm-hmm. it really isn't. So it took me a while to kind of step out and really step into what was like me. But I'll tell you, everybody that has a separate them and me, it's living happy inside out. So in other words, find out who you are on the inside and then find ways to express it outwardly. What I realized I was doing in all those decades that I found myself wearing my black suits, I had an entirely black wardrobe. It felt comfortable for me. Why? Mm -hmm. I was hidden. But if you went to visit my house, our house in the suburbs, and opened up the front doors, you'd be like, whoa, there is nothing black about this woman because I love to paint walls. I loved to redecorate. And if you went from room to room and place to place, you would see such creativity, such an eclectic, it was actually very good taste, but it was was someone who was expressing herself very quietly, so the outside world didn't know, but I was making myself happy inside my own house. Ah, okay. And and I, I want to make a, I want to make mention that Mora is you know a lot of times women who wear black it's attributed because they have you know they're heavy set and Mora is nothing heavy set. She's very very petite and tiny, so it has nothing to do with her wanting to look thin. The black was was in a way I guess just this way of of n- non competing with the rest of everybody in the room. Yeah, like, it was a cover up, but I didn't yeah. know it. It yeah, made not me funny. Feel comfortable. So you had a special relationship with your with your grandparents, more so than your own parents. You maybe you know I think they thought the the sun rose and set on me. That could be one of the reasons. But and they both actually went uh, or passed away when I was quite young. But I did. I had great great experiences at their home because they were they lived out loud. Both of them. Everything in their lives was expressing who they were. And it also gave me something else to watch. I noticed people at the end of their lives when I was very young, again, Mm -hmm. noticing the happiest people were the people who were living their lives on an authentic basis, whether it was meant their opinions, their 
um, their professions, um, their friendships, what they were doing. In other words, instead of living out of someone else's pattern or succumbing, let's say, to whatever life gave them. They said, I'm just going to live out as I am. You like me or you don't like me, but they like themselves. And that was that was actually very healthy for me to see. And I didn't realize until decades later that the relationship that I have with my husband is so much like the relationship mm -hmm. I saw between my grandparents. Well, at least that's the one that, that you chose to, and I use the word chose, uh, mm. you know, to emulate. Like your parents, would you say your parents were happy people? You know, um, if you were to look at them, I'd say very good looking people, very, they, they looked very nice, but I don't know if they were fully developed on all channels. And so here I was, this little person under their tutelage and guidance, looking for something that they couldn't always give to me. And I must admit, Frankie, I don't think I was your average child because I was the one kid that would ask questions that to me seemed so obvious that nobody mm -hmm. else would ask. Mm -hmm. And it used to really disturb others like, well, what are you doing? What are you asking that for? And I think that's probably what helped contribute to the fact that I was had this really great fear of authority, an overabundance of respect for authority and oh. why I would stay really inside the lines because to go outside the lines was really not appreciated. <laughs> What would your what would a punishment be for you? Oh, I, you know, I have to tell you, I have no recollections ever yeah. of being, um, you know, spanked or any of that. Yeah. It was things like, don't you look at me like that? Or, mm -hmm. um, you know, like the idea of looking eye to eye was not allowed or questioning or asking for emotional support. But let me, again, I will tell you this, um, not to, you know, not to put a hard rap on anyone. Right. Every challenge I had in life, I would go inward and I would look for help elsewhere. If I couldn't find answers or help or support or guidance or whatever it was I was looking for, I would always go within. And somehow that must have been my connection either with my soul, my higher self, with God, whatever you want to call it. But I really learned to check in in that spot. And that was where I'd always go for wisdom, for strength, for new ideas, and maybe even for, um, oh gosh, um, maybe that sense of peace that I couldn't always find on the outside. Well, your your poppy, he was a lawyer, and yes. so so was it expected for you to be a lawyer because your parents thought that was you know socially acceptable and that that would look good on them, or did you want to do it because of your grandfather? I never wanted to do it. Now here's the no. grandfather who I call poppy. You could tell he died when I was five and yeah. a half. He was a very uh, powerful New York, New Jersey attorney. Um, you know, he was constantly on airplanes traveling and, and going elsewhere. And I remember being in his office. So my parents decided they wanted me to be like him or follow in his footsteps after he passed away. So I was all of like five and a half when they decided I'm going to be the next poppy. Mm -hmm. My thing was as much as I would go to his office, which was attached to his home and sit in the waiting room and listen to him and have all these clients come in and out, I was never intrigued by the practice of law, but I remember being so taken up with his legal secretary's typewriter and the fact that if you could get your hands on an instrument that would create formal documents that other people would read, oh, there I was, couldn't even <laughs> read yet. I was like, wow, am I inspired? I could have ideas and write them down and other people will read them. So it, isn't it interesting that when you do check in with things you like or mm -hmm. things that excite you or get your um, imagination and that sense of empowerment going and you start 
kind of going along those paths, you have so much more energy. And I would say since, you know, to take off on the title of your, your show here, that kind of connection in life really does give us what we need to be unstoppable personalities later in life. So, yeah, I didn't want to practice law, even though I was halfway through law school thinking, I so can't do this, otherwise right. I'm going to die. But I ended up being an idea person, a gatherer, a developer, a promoter, and I do it all through multiple forms of digital media. Well, you know what? It's interesting because it ends up that you know people – who, like yourself, went into careers that they did not want, that they did for their parents, um, end up meeting people like us later in life <laughs> to undo that and, and to become that person that they always wanted to be. And they might not know who it was, but you go back and you look at the gifts and you look at the talents and you look at what interested you when you were young. Like myself, I mean, I... You know, I never knew what I wanted to be when I grew up, but I, I was nine years old and sent away for the National Institute of Broadcasting Records. You know, I wanted to be a jockey and a vet and a whole bunch of other things. But, you know, it's funny that, that in my, you know, just as I was hitting 50 and somebody said, you should be on the radio. I go, oh, I always wanted to be on the radio. You're right. You know, so that's that kind of thing is, is so important to know um, if you don't know who you want to be. I just did everything. But other people really knew from a very young age who they wanted to be. But that socialized self, that's what we're talking about, that's, you know, eventually breaks out in, in some way to say, hey, I need to, I need to be me. I can't do this anymore. I can't do it for anybody else but me. And sometimes they go crazy like that, you know, in midlife, like the bull in the china shop, they call that midlife crisis, or they do it more quietly. Um, but it happens because eventually, like, you just can't live in that little prison of what everybody wanted you to be. I totally agree. Now, I'm listening to you. You said you sent away, what was it, to the broadcasting something? National Institute of Broadcasting. <laughs> and you were nine? Okay. Yeah. When I was, I want to say 11, I went out someplace. I saved my money, and I bought a book on how to type. Okay. And I used my grand my, at this point my grandfather was gone, but I used that same typewriter that his legal secretary used to use. And all summer long, I taught myself how to type from that book. So you see, I think our happiness, our sense of identity, mm -hmm. um, and our sense of freedom and value come from connecting with and engaging with those things we really love just like and how interesting your calling let's say came after 50 i feel like mine did but i also feel like i was preparing for it all my life oh yeah oh for sure yes absolutely and you know it, it's I, you know, being the reflective person you are it had to come out i'm sure of that you know being the observer yeah. it had to come out you you recognize that the outward the outward um, appearance, and, and, you know, our bodies are the cars that we drive rather than, uh, you know, who we are. Some people are luckier than others to get, you know, better looking cars, let's say, but, but, <laughs> but you know, they really, but that's all they represent is just, you know, really a way of, of getting around. And so that's kind of interesting that, you know, you were able to understand that the spirit, the soul is, is really um, who we are. I want to, you know, when we come back, I want to talk about a couple of things. I want to talk about your marriage because you've been married a, a long time, which is something, you know, I commend both of you. I'm going to clap here because uh, not a lot of people reach that uh, milestones that, that, that you and your husband have. And also I want to talk about when you were little and about being the little rich girl uh, in, in the blue collar neighborhood. And I'll tell you why when we get back, okay. <laughs> but okay. we're going to a commercial break. You're listening. Maura Sweeney's my guest. You can go to more for you. Is it dot com? 
moraforyou.com and it's number four letter U because I'm always for you. She's for you. So you can go check her out on her website, More For You, right now if you're interested because we'll be back in, in a couple of minutes. But here we go. Don't go anywhere. Make sure you're, you're back when we are. <laughs> you don't want to miss any of the action. Oh, and we're going to talk about she has an e-course. Um, Maura has not she. Maura has an e-course that we can talk about, too, when we get back. And she has a special offer for you. Oh, and I made it unstoppable. That's, yes. the, uh, that's the code. You know what? These We're are going great. to break right now. Okay. <laughs> Stop listening. Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso will continue right after these messages. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it's time for the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Marla believes that with the right mindset, anything is possible. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka inspires you and her clients to explore, discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the Million Dollar Mindset. Marla will inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power. Tune into the Million Dollar Mindset for heartwarming stories with Marla Tabaka. Learn tips and tricks to building a successful business and unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. For more information on the Million Dollar Mindset, go to our website, MarlaTabaka.com. That's M-A-R-L-A-T-A-B-A-K-A.com. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. son just adopted a dog, a red fox Labrador named Scout. There is no better psychologist in the world to help you feel good, like a happy-go-lucky Norse Boris puppy licking your face. Dogs are really smart. If you think dogs can't count, try putting three dog biscuits in your pocket and then giving Fido only two of them. Your dog will be snuzzling or poking around with his nose to find the last biscuit. If people are really smarter than dogs, why are we the ones walking along behind them with the pooper scooper? The reason a dog has so many friends is that he wags his tail instead of his tongue. Even though owning a dog can cause us to become dartle dum doos or someone who spent all of their energy, dogs reward us by giving us their all. It's the best deal man has ever made. It's words you never I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. And we're back. And my guest is Maura Sweeney. I am your host, Frankie Picasso, and welcome to Mission Unstoppable Radio. Maura, you know, I was thinking about your mother buying that navy and, and winter white and, and, you know, maroon. And I'm thinking, those are the colors that you're supposed to buy for every wardrobe as a staple. <laughs> and then you build around it. So, she, you know, she taught you a good lesson for life there. Um, but we, I was going to talk about, you know, the little rich girl in, in the blue-collar neighborhood. Uh, I read that, that you, that, you know, your poppy had... He was wealthy, and he had uh, a Cadillac, that, and, and you had the first pool in the neighborhood and, and all of that, and you were kind of embarrassed about it. Oh, you know, with that boy, oh, boy, you read a lot. You know something? It wasn't my grandfather, my poppy, that had the Cadillac. Actually, it was a Lincoln Continental that opened. The back doors opened from the front, kind of like a, um, a limousine. Yeah. Nor was it he who had the first uh, in-ground pool in the backyard or how to live in domestic. That was what I experienced growing up with my parents after oh, my okay. grandfather passed away. Actually, 
even though he was a very prosperous man, he had an older car, but he lived a big life. Uh, and yet he always lived well within his means. When I was growing up, we actually ended up moving into his home. It was a five bedroom, beautiful brick house. on I think it was built on five lots in our town, which was more like a middle-class town, you know, working class, blue mm -hmm. collar, which I don't think people use that term anymore. Oh, yeah. And I had, you know, a set of parents. They were college educated. We're living in this beautiful home. And I remember always feeling awkward. First of all, I felt awkward with a name called Mora. As a little girl, what was a Mora? Nobody ever heard of one. I want to be Lisa, Debbie, Judy, anything but right. Mora. Right. Um, the clothes I wore didn't fit me. The fact that I was always supposed to be indoors playing the piano when I really wanted to be outside jumping rope playing around, none of that stuff ever fit me. But here's an interesting thing. Oh, and even my clothing. My clothing, I can remember, came sometimes from Bergdorf Goodman. Now, why were you wearing this kind of clothing living in a blue-collar town? Doesn't make sense. And people would look at me, uh, and I didn't realize, realize some of it when I was a child, and then I heard it echoed several times thereafter. People always thought that I was this rich girl. But mm -hmm. what it was was more of the appearance of. But indoors, it was not that. I remember when I was between fourth and fifth grade, I worked selling Christmas cards in the summertime so I could buy my own clothing for school, and I loved it. So there was a lot of this thing that didn't fit in when I was ready for high school. I was supposed to go to this all-girl prep school in another town. And I just, to me, I wanted my friends. I didn't want to be looked upon as someone who needed to be treated with kid gloves. I never wanted to be perceived as someone who thought she was better than other people right. or privileged. So I actually have to say I'm so grateful for the life I've carved out for myself because I was a working woman, had my own career. You know, I, I was uh, certainly self-sustaining. I'm doing something new now. I made sure when I brought my daughter up that there was this no, no idea of you're better than them. Um, well, the know, reason I just, brought it up was because I had a very, I almost mirrored you in that really yes my mother had a, a blue cadillac that i used to we, we had a farm out, out in the country and it was a beautiful estate and we had you know horses and we had pool and we had all this beautiful stuff and my mother had this cadillac that you know her car had been traded in for this Cadillac. And I was so embarrassed. I used to hide in the back seat of the car when we went through town because I didn't want anybody, even though they knew she was my mother, I didn't want anyone to know that I was associated with that. And I had a domestic when we when I was younger who was my, you know, my friend, my living friend from from Trinidad as well. Oh, and, and yeah, and um, you know, people would go, Oh, she's the rich kid. And I went to a private girls' school. <laughs> oh my gosh, how funny well it's very awkward it's yes awkward, it was very awkward because i was not that person in my head i wasn't no i'm not rich i'm not that person uh, you know i just happened to live there um i'm just like you right but people always saw me as a little different Yes, and you know what? That was me, and I didn't like it. I didn't, you know, what? I didn't want to be this person who looked like she was breakable, mm -hmm. or that had never been tried and tested in life. But to me, to really live, all right, granted, not that you want to go through hard times. It's not about that. But you want to be able to exercise yourself, to grow, and to be strong in your own right, rather than just being a privileged person who never really is tested or doesn't know their own metal. But I just need to add this one thing. You used to you used to hide in the back seat mm -hmm. in the big blue Cadillac with ours, this big black Lincoln Continental with the doors that would open like it was a limousine and people would think it was limousines. I remember we would go to the uh, 
to the movies, like on a Saturday afternoon, I would say to my father, oh, please, just like drop me off a block away or I'll yes. leave you a block away. Just the idea of getting out in front of the movie theater with somebody opening the doors. Oh, it was just terrible. Yeah. <laughs> and other kids might have thought, hey, I'd really like that. But yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. You know, and it, my son did the same thing to, to me, but not because it was a car. I think at some age, all kids are a little bit embarrassed about their parents. And and I think he was about 11 or 12 years old, and he wanted to see this girl. And I, you know, but I had to drive him there. And then he said, well, just duck. and, and They're going to see you. And I go, I'm driving. I can't duck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's kind of it's a funny thing. It's hysterical. But, you know, we all, we all have these experiences growing up. And a lot of people listening will think, you know, well, I can't get out of that. Like, how can I... That's that's who I am. That's what you know. They taught me. That's what how how I grew up. But you know, you can become anybody that you want to be. It's all choice. You can be unstoppable in that. And and Mora has proven you can do it. You know, clearly with with laughter and happiness. And um, that's the one thing that you want to make sure that everybody is. And you know, you have a happy marriage. And you guys met in college. I think you were 19 years old. And you're still together today. And uh, was that 40 some odd years later? Uh, how did that happen? How did you make that happen? Did you have to work at it? You know, I didn't even want to get married. I'm thinking, I don't want to get married till I'm at least 30. And I never figured I'd live that long. So basically, marriage was not like a high priority for me. The first time I met this guy, Jim Sweeney, was the beginning of our sophomore year. And I remember even not wanting to meet him because he was an athlete. I figured, oh, I heard his name around college a lot. I thought, oh, he's probably a dumb jock with an ego. I met him aboard a booze cruise the beginning of our sophomore year in college, and I never met another person like him, never thought about another guy. He told me the first time he met me, he wanted to marry me. So we just celebrated our 35th anniversary two weeks ago while he was in this, this is so typical of us, though. I'm in Florida, and he is in either the Ukraine or Moldova playing basketball as we are celebrating our 35th anniversary. And next year, next September, we will be together 40 years. Wow, eh? Look at that. 40 years. What do you mean you didn't think you'd live that long? I I think I saw so much death. I know I saw so much death when I was a young girl and was so traumatized by people who were sick, people who were dying, that I got this notion in my head. I can't tell you exactly where it came from in particular, but I never thought I'd like 30 was this magic number. I'd never make it to that point. And actually thinking I'd be dead by the time I was 30 caused me to become a super achiever. <laughs> well, you, know, you have the, the, um, I hope I can bring it up because you have the personality of a super achiever and you're extremely bright. And, and that's a combination that, oftentimes goes hand in hand with anorexia so you had you had a, a, a bout of the of the eating disorder in i think when you went to prep school yes. did you not yeah yes. tell us about that and how how you overcame that because a lot of people listening probably want to know that I would love to share it. Thank you for bringing it up. This is a great example of, you know, making life choices or just hoping for something better. But I contracted, if you want to call it, anorexia, even before they had a name for it. I think it was Karen Carpenter who was the first person that the general population heard of. But here I was. I want to be this regular kid. I want to be with my friends. When I wanted to go to school as a child, I remember I was four years old, so disappointed I couldn't go to school. I wasn't looking to go to school to learn. I wanted to go to school to have 
have yeah. fun with friends. Yeah, exactly. All right. So anyway, fast forward. I was going from our elementary school to junior high school. My parents said, oh, we're going to send you to Lacadere Academy in Upper Montclair, New Jersey. And I'm like, I want to be with my friends. And well, they were saying, well, it's not a good school. So sure enough, I, I managed to postpone the junior high experience. But by freshman year in high school, I am wearing a uniform, going to a school. It was a Catholic all-girls school, 47 girls in my class. Oh, wow. I don't want to be there. And this was very much part of that clicky culture of who's yeah. got what. And I, you talk about if I felt uncomfortable in a middle-class town having too much, I felt worse in a town designed around how much you have, what, what airplane your father's got, where are you going, what kind of jewelry you're wearing. So now you didn't have I, enough. <laughs> uh, no, but it wasn't even that. It was like yeah. I, the whole thing to me was fake. Yes. Not, yes. not talking to each other, clickiness. I didn't, girls only, that to me was fake. So many of my friends growing up were boys. And so the whole thing was like being in the middle of an altered reality. Didn't mm-hmm. want to be there, begged my parents not to send me. And even when I was there, didn't want to go there. So I remember begging, literally begging my parents to take me out. And it was like a closed case, not happening. And I even remember saying to my father, please talk to mom, get me out of this place. This is not good for me. Well, nothing came of it. And I remember one day saying to myself, and do I have it in me to be like some of these girls here? Because they were, there was, there was a freshness to, at least to what some of what I've seen, but there were some darling girls. I got so depressed and felt so much like I was out of control or meaning that I couldn't control the destiny of my own life. And you know, when you're 14 and you think you're going to be somewhere for four years, yes. it's like, you might as well be here for life, like a right. life sentence. Yeah. Yeah. So because I couldn't control what I wore, who I was with, um, or any of these things, or the fact that I really didn't feel like this was an environment for me, I found one thing I could control, and that was my eating. And I thought, well, if I can't do anything else, and by the way, I was a good student back then, but I thought, if I can't do anything else, I could at least be thin, because thin is an ex- is, is an ex- not an excuse, but a replacement, yes. let's say, for being happy or popular. I stopped eating. And even my parents didn't even notice that. You know who noticed it was my grandmother who was on her way out, unfortunately, that year. She Uh passed away. And she was the one who said, what are you doing? I would give my lunch away every lunch hour. And then at dinner, I think I ate one piece of roast beef loaded up with salt. That was it. And sure enough, by the end of that year, my grandmother passed away. And had she not, I would have still been there sophomore year. But because I had no ride back from school, she was my afternoon ride, I got to go back to public school sophomore year. And thankfully, it was like being let out of a cage. And all of a sudden, I, I allowed myself to eat again. But I was so real thin that I already have a long nose. Imagine how long the nose looked when I was 20 pounds lighter. <laughs> well, we're going to go on another commercial break shortly. But you know the, the saying, you can never be too rich or too thin. <laughs> I don't agree with that. But it's kind of funny when you think of that, the flip side. They were too rich and you got too thin. Oh, so. gosh. Yeah, in response to it. That's kind of interesting, Maura. It was, but that was my thing. That was the only thing I felt I could control. So it was really and it was very, And it was a conscious choice. Absolutely. Absolutely. Really? Wow. Okay. When we come back, I want to talk about... Um, we, talk, we hit on your marriage, but we didn't hit on your mother-in-law, and I think that's a really important point. So we're going to come back and see how you can have a long-standing marriage with a mother-in-law. What makes a good mother-in-law? Because, you know, I'm a mother-in-law. i got a bunch of married kids now. So <laughs> let's, let's talk about that for a minute. Don't go anywhere. We're talking to Maura Sweeney. MauraForYou.com. Check her out. 
while we're gone, and we're coming back back with her too. So not going to win and miss that. And, oh, and Maura does have um, very quickly. She got an e course. She's giving you a great deal on it. Frankie Picasso will continue right after these messages. Stop. ever get nervous riding in an elevator because you're afraid the cable might snap? It's entered my mind more than once. According to Elevator World magazine, on the rare occasion a cable breaks, the car won't hunge plunge to the bottom. This is because elevators have as many as 10 cables holding them up, each capable of supporting a fully loaded car. Sometimes I feel a little mischievous in elevators. Next time you're feeling like a rapscallion, try one of these little jokes. When there's only one other person in the elevator, tap them on the shoulder and then pretend it wasn't you. Push one of the buttons and pretend it gave you a shock. Or maybe start a sing-along. What's a word for a person who thinks he's funny but no one else does? Vitzelsucht. I'm Carolyn Davidson and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. This is the Tokenet Radio Network. Radio with a cutting edge. LinkedIn. It's a great tool and a great way to do business in today's social media-driven world. And Carol McManus is the LinkedIn lady with the LinkedIn Lady Show. Tuesday and Wednesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Eastern on allbusinessradionetwork.com. The LinkedIn Lady Show is designed to inform, inspire, and educate businesses. Every social media site has a specific demographic, personality, and purpose. And the LinkedIn Lady will interview a variety of guests, such as business owners who can showcase their business and talk about how they use social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Google+, Pinterest, and of course, LinkedIn. For more on Carol and the show, check out her website, LinkedInLady.com. As trends change and new applications become available, the LinkedIn Lady Show will bring that information to you in an easy-to-use, fun, and engaging way. Every Tuesday and Wednesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Eastern, it's the LinkedIn Lady Show with Carol McManus on AllBusinessRadioNetwork.com. And we're back. So how many of you are married long time uh, and have a relationship with your mother-in-law that really isn't the one that you would wish to have if you could? Now, I don't know if things have changed more, but I did read that your mother-in-law was was not very happy that you weren't from the same culture as, as her. Uh, your husband is Polish and her both her and her husband were Polish. Um, and you were, you're kind of a little bit of an outsider, this Mora girl. <laughs> And, yes. and somehow she kind of kept you on the outside. I'm laughing. Bit. I'm laughing. Isn't it nice when things are I went kind of behind you and you could look yeah. at them in the rear view mirror, you could laugh. But yes, my mother-in-law decided she didn't like me even before she met me. Huh. The year was 1977. And when she, number one, she didn't choose me for her number one and only son. But secondly, yeah, she, I was not Polish. And mm-hmm. I didn't know that was a qualifier. <laughs> and so, and there's no way did you your husband yourself, know it was a qualifier. Had she told oh, he, him? he told me this one funny, funny story recently. There was a girl he took out twice when he was in high school, and his mother said, "Don't get too close to her. She's only half Polish." Oh my God! <laughs> so he made a decision. He was going to marry me. I guess he said from the first time he met me. But it was a year later, almost, that I finally met her, and she just 
you know, it was a decision that she made. We all make decisions. Yes. But her decision was, this is not my choice for my son. And he's already made it. And she was a very strong-willed woman. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, she had many great talents and great attributes. And my husband has been the beneficiary of them. But she just could not get past the fact that she didn't choose me. And more specifically, that I wasn't Polish. And to make you laugh, how long this whole thing went... For 40 years. Well, she passed away about three years ago. We're back in Trenton, New Jersey, which is where she had, you know, lived mm -hmm. all of her life. We're at her funeral. Actually, it was a few days before her funeral. She's staying at her daughter's house. My husband and she's going through the whole thing with hospice. And my niece says to my um, to my husband, you know, Uncle Jimmy, Grandma never did like Aunt Mora. Now, she's in the other room dying, and we're yeah. still hearing this 38 years later. Oh then, gosh. several days later, we're at the funeral at the cemetery and as they're getting ready for the final prayers just before they put the casket in my husband looks over and he taps me on the shoulder we're in the polish section of the cemetery yeah. and he said to me would you believe even in death my mother gets the final word he's pointing he said do you see that tombstone over there he said that's the name of the that's the last name of the same family my husband my, my mother said to me when i told her i was dating you he must have she must have said to him well jimmy what about Mary Ellen, bop, 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 bop. And it was yeah. a Polish name. And there is the tombstone of the parents of the same lady that she wished that her husband her oh, son Oh, wow. Marry. He said, even in death. Oh, in your face. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys moved away. You, you moved to Florida. You moved away from your family uh, consciously to, to start your own family and live the way that you wanted to live, away from all of that negative space, let's call it. You know, interesting, both my husband and I came from families with very strong maternal figures where the husbands kind of like followed after the wives. And there was also this, there was a disconnect. Jimmy and I were always like, not only that we loved one another, but there was a partnership between us. And as soon as we got married, I could actually remember being in the kitchen. We had lived upstairs on the second floor of my family's home when I was in law school and um, and before we moved to Florida. And I'm having a conversation in the kitchen with my mother. And she would always have these, everything was the other, the other person out there. So she was very, she wasn't so much a unifier. And I found myself mimicking something I grew up in where she was talking about her husband as if he was somebody else other than her husband and the one that she had chosen to marry. And I heard something come out of my mouth and I thought, oh my gosh, I don't want to follow in this. Yeah. I want to know uh, my husband and I are together. I didn't waste all this time to get married to find out that I'm going to be dividing myself against my husband. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, you know what? We need to get away. And it was really, it was, I always wanted to live in Florida. My husband got a position down here. They relocated us and it was wonderful. But for us, it was healthy because we really left behind all of those very strong influences. And we were both the kind of kids that were probably people pleasers to our families. Mm -hmm. So it gave us the space and time and place to really create brand new lives for ourselves. And it was far healthier as a result. You were really close to your brother when you were little. Are you guys still close? No, it's sad to say. I we I was going to move to Florida. I remember him saying, there's only old people, Indians, and mosquitoes that live down there. The guy has not called me in 33 years. <gasps> Florida. Really? I kid you not. Oh I my had God. Him a few weeks ago on LinkedIn. I've yet to hear back from him. He There's zero, like you would never know the two of us were even uh, related. It's very funny. I have a brother I mean, like funny. that. It's a curiosity. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, how's that? You know what? Now, I've been trying to mention this <laughs> 
As we're leaving every break, and, and somehow I'm getting cut off, so I'm going to mention it right now. The Foundation of Happiness Self-Study Course. You have created this wonderful course um, that I, I guess it looks at emotional intelligence. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I think that's a buzzword that people use today. But are you emotionally smart? Like a lot of people, they work on what they look like. They work right. on maybe their finances. But very few people connect with their emotions, how they think of themselves, and then how they relate to others in the world. And, yeah, yeah. I think that's a good way of saying it. Yeah, I, I had a I had a, a client once. He was a, a man, and you know, I was asking him like, "Where in your body do you feel this?" Because he had some, you know, a disconnect. And he he goes, "Let me get back to you." And um, he called me back two hours later. He goes, "I don't have feelings." <laughs> like, hey, at least he realized and acknowledged it. Yeah. Most of us deny our feelings. Yeah, that was his emotional our... intelligence. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> he but, moved to number one on the scale. I don't... But I'm sure anybody listening to you, I can't imagine anybody, A, disliking you, B, not finding you, you know, just so much fun and, and really see, like, who, if you're not happy, you know, hang on to more. She's going to help you get there. So Foundation of Happiness Self-Study Course, you have a um, – uh, oh, oh, my God. I just went out of my head. You no, mean a coupon? You have an offer for them. Yes, an offer. Yes, What's an offer? a coupon code for anyone who's listening today okay. that feels like they want to get happier from the inside out. Basically, that they want to live an authentic life, just like I did. Um, the course is unbelievably detailed. It's like over 50 years of my own experience. Multimedia retails for $97, but for your listeners, um, which I love to do, there's a coupon code I created and it's called, of all things, Unstoppable. So if there's anybody who wants to get happier from the inside out, um, use the coupon code Unstoppable when they go to moreforyou.com and find where it says courses off that's just fantastic thank you and you know there's nothing in life that comes free or easy as far as you know just falling into your lap and being happy or falling into your lap and and finding out who you are or uh, you know most people i have found that are authentically happy have gone through some kind of trauma tragedy uh chaos some event that has had them self-reflect gone through a very you know that dark night of the soul or emotional period of time and then come out the other side going oh that's what it's all about and and so when you hear that it's detailed in its work don't let that scare you off if you really want to become the person that you want to be and have the things in life that you really want to have or get rid of the things in life that you don't want uh go for it see what happens see the transformation that can happen in your life you know, Frankie, I'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think people think if they want to be happy, they can't look at anything. And the truth is that sometimes if you are forced or if you force yourself to look at some stuff that you do mm-hmm. feel uncomfortable with or that's a dissonant feeling in your life, those can actually be used, those events, as mm-hmm. catalysts to figuring out what you do want, what does make you happy, what is authentic for you, what is natural for you. And also it helps you revisit old stories or old narratives narratives in your life and look at them from a different vantage point and learn to, instead of being an effective life to be the cause of your life right. and to be the director of it. I know that you talk about, you know, coming out of the comfort zone or comfort is too comfortable and, and the Chinese have two characters for change, danger and opportunity. And so the dangerous is, you know, really staying or coming out of your comfort zone and, and the opportunity lives outside of that comfort zone. And so it's, it's important to, to realize that, Comfortable means you're just going to stay where you are. Nobody likes to change 
a lot right. of times unless they're forced to. Um, you know, Lee Iacocca, I love this saying, he said, we're continually faced by great opportunity disguised as insoluble problems. And I love that. I love the the level of creativity it's going to take you to come through those insoluble, insoluble problems. But it's the opportunities. That's where they live. And, you know, people always say opportunities pass me by. You know, I don't get those opportunities. I, I would be willing to bet that you get 90% of the opportunities. You don't action upon them. I would what agree you with you. I would agree. You know, I think that's a good part of human nature is that people, even when they're uncomfortable in their comfort zones, at least there, they know the unwritten rules. They know how to behave and they might be totally even unhappy and frustrated in them, but they're fr- afraid to step out. But really, that's where life is oftentimes. When you feel uncomfortable, it, people are afraid of losing what they have, losing their friends, looking foolish. Because oftentimes when you're stepping out of your comfort zone, you've got to learn. You will trip and fall along the way. But it can also be so energizing. You know, if you he- what you hear in me today, if you were to know me 30 years ago, you would find me to be far more reserved, quiet. I mean, I was always very purposed. But there's so much more life that comes out of me today, Frankie, because I did step out. And I want to give you one of those moments that maybe it'll relate to somebody who's listening today. When I was probably in my mid 40s this is when I probably had the big big switch. I was at an event up in Massachusetts and I was in a room and I watched over 200 people dancing. And when I was little, I wanted to dance, never Mm -hmm. got a chance. And here I was sitting in a room wearing black, a little gray, watching all these people dance. And I thought, oh my gosh, I am sitting out of the dance. And by almost 50 years old, I started finally learning how to dance, which created my the series of books I wrote, and I pressed through so much of old mental baggage about Maura, you've got, you know, you're uncoordinated, you can't do this, you might be smart, but you're not really graceful. And so for anybody, they may have that thing they wanted to do when they Mm -hmm. were little and talked about it, but said, oh, I can't, the time passed me up. There's never another time like now, and it may not look like what it did when you were a child, but do it anyway, because you'll find a new way to express yourself and get happy. Maura Sweeney, everybody. Go to Maura for the number four U, the letter U, like university, Maura for you, uh, dot com, and learn more about this gazelle. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the duckling that turned into a swan and danced for the first time in her 50s. And how amazing is that? What a great story, Maura. Thank you so much. Thank you for being you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing happiness and teaching people how to be happy in their lives. And uh, don't forget to go to the Foundation of Happiness and, and order that self-study course from Maura and learn about yourself and how you can be happy too. Uh, just wonderful. Just wonderful. And I, and I have to say Maura is a co-author in the new book I um uh, I bared my chest coming out shortly and you will find out more about that soon. So don't, you know, think about that. I bared my chest. You hear no more new great pictures, stories tomorrow. of course. <laughs> no, no new pictures. I was also voted most dignified in high school. Oh, there you go. There you go. Oh, okay. Thanks again, Maura. Thank you, Ben, for being uh, my producer today. And thank you everybody for coming and listening to us each and every week. And we will be back next week for another Mission Unstoppable. They didn't stop. Stories of people who, when the odds were against them, turned defeat into victory. You've been listening to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. See you next time, and always remember... Don't, 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 don't stop.